Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hello, everyone. You guys are looking extra special good today. Turn to the person beside you and say, man, you look better than ever before. Some little New Year's encouragement, man. Doesn't that make you feel good to hear that? Man, I look better than ever before. Well, my name is Olin Carter. Um, if I have never had the pleasure of meeting you, um, I, I get the honor and privilege of serving here on our teaching team. Something very unique about our church, if you're new to Freedom House, is we are one church in many locations. And so we have several different campuses all over the city. We have our online campus. And our pastors have an incredible vision to have a live communicator at each and every campus, each and every service, which I think is amazing. So I always like to give some honor. Let's, let's give it up for our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, and for that vision. Um, and just to let go and empower others around them. They really build the church on that vision and not just on a person. And I love that about our pastors. And um, we have our online campus. I want to say hello, a special hello to you today. We have people joining us right now in Georgia, South Carolina, New York, Tennessee, and Montana. Man, Montana might be a new one. So y'all give it up for them. Thank you for being with us today. That is awesome. And uh, before I get into the message, wanna wanna give a little plug. This week, starting today, we're doing our church-wide fast. Okay, so if maybe you're somebody who never fasted before, um, you don't have to go totally without food. You can fast different things. Um, you can do a partial fast, a whole fast, a Daniel fast. Um, I did the Daniel fast last year, and it kicked my rear end. Let me tell you, that is not easy. Um, so there's lots of different fasts you can do. So what I want to encourage you to do, everybody's taking part in this. Go to our website, freedomhouse.cc forward slash fast, and you can get anything you need to know about fasting. Tips, what you can fast. There's a devotional on there we're all going to go through together. And also, normally as a church, we have prayer um, on Instagram and on Facebook on Tuesday mornings. We're going to do it all week long. So I want to encourage you guys to come check that out. Um, it's 6.30 to 7 a.m., just 30 minutes. And listen, if you're fasting social media... It's okay. You're not, you're not, yeah, you, God's not going to judge you. It's okay for prayer, okay? So you can get on social media for prayer. Um, but I encourage you to do that. Pastor Troy will be leading some, some of our campus pastors. I'll be on there some. So we have different leaders in our church hosting that, and you can send in your prayer requests. So it'll be a great time and encourage you guys to take part in that. And so right now we're in a series called Dear John. Everybody say, Dear John. Man, Dear John, I really don't have to explain too much, right? We get the concept of a Dear John letter, right? Everybody gets that concept. It's about breaking up with someone. We've probably all been broken up with before or had a breakup. Um, I, I want to caution you for a minute. If you're, you're sitting on the end of the row, be careful. I don't want you to fall and hit your head. This is going to be shocking. I've been broken up with. I know. I mean, when, when it happened, I was like, are you sure? I mean, you want to break up with all of this? I mean, it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Um, but it has happened. Listen, y'all pipe down over here. That's too much laughter. It wasn't that funny. 
But I've been broken up with. I'm sure you have been broken up with. We all go through that. And we understand that breaking up, going through a breakup, it is hard, right? It's, it's challenging. It's difficult. It's emotional. And so what is this series all about? It's about breaking up with the things in our life that will hold us back. So each and every week, each and every communicator that we have is going to be teaching you how to break up with specific things in our life, things that are holding us back. What I want to get into and teach you today is an underlying principle that's going to support all those other things. So if you get this today, it's going to empower you, it's going to help you to, to write a Dear John letter to all that other stuff. Everybody get that? So this is going to be a foundational thing for you today. And what I want to talk to you about is I have to say goodbye to my old self. At some point, I've got to say goodbye. I've got to write a Dear John letter to me. I think one of the biggest reasons why some people never fully surrender to Jesus is because we have things in our life that we don't want to let go of. We've got parts of us, I've got parts of me, I've got parts of my past, I've got parts of my future, I've got parts of my personality. I've got things that, frankly, I don't want to let go of. And it's very popular, it's very easy to come in here and preach a message about getting free from X, Y, and Z in your past. And everybody will shout, everybody will amen, everybody loves that. We all get excited about the concept of freedom from things we don't like. As long as I get to be in control of what I have to let go of. As long as I get to pick and choose the stuff I have to let go of and the stuff I get to hold on to, then I'm all for it. Sign me up, right? But I think sometimes we want to date God and stay married to ourselves. We hear things like my way, my plans, my dreams, my desires, my future. And it's not supposed to be about that. I want to answer two important questions today to two different groups of people. One, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, somebody I would, you would call yourself a Christian, I believe that, I follow Jesus. I'm in. What does that look like for me? What does it mean to say goodbye to my old self? What does it mean to write that Dear John letter to me? What does that look like? But I also want to talk today to some people that are in the room, and maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you say, you, say, you know what, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Christian. I'm trying to decide, am I, you know, I'm okay with Jesus, but am I ready to take that leap? What would that look like? What would it look like to dedicate my heart, my life to Jesus? What would that mean for me? And so I think we always need to start out, like each and every week, we're going to start out and see what the Word of God has to say. And the passage of Scripture that I picked today, number one, it's because I read lots of passages, and this is the one that God just kept bringing me back to first and foremost. But secondly, it's because it's a passage that I think often gets misused, misquoted, misunderstood. And many of you have maybe heard this before where it says that if you're in Christ, hey, I'm a new creature, old things have passed away, and new things have come. And we hear that in our culture today, and many times it's presented or it's talked about as if God is going to make everything new for me. And I want to read through this passage, and let's see if that's really what it's talking about here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 14 through 17, it says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. And that's good, isn't it? We could just read that and go home. It says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Are you being controlled by the love 
of Jesus. That's a whole message right there. He says it's the love of God that's controlling us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person the old life is gone, a new life has begun. A disciple of Jesus must surrender control. Must surrender control. The first step to breaking up with me, the old me, the old life, is I must surrender my right to live for myself. That's what being a Christian is all about. I must surrender my right to live for myself. We live in a country that's all about rights. Fight for my rights. You're, you're trampling my rights. But when we come to faith in Jesus, it's about surrendering my rights. I have to surrender my right to live for myself. Are you dead, as this passage says, to your old life? Or are you just living a modified version of it? Listen, Jesus did not come and Jesus did not die so that you could live a better version of your old life. That's not why Jesus came. He did not come, he did not die, so you could live a you 2.0. He did not come to enhance the life you had. He came so that as he died, you can die and then be raised to newness of life. Jesus didn't come so we could enhance the old. He came to give us the new. He came so that we could die and be raised to new life and so that we could then live for him. But what does it look like to live for Jesus? Well, I believe, number one, it means that we have to love what Jesus loves. If I love Jesus, if I'm living for Jesus, then that means I'm going to love what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? Jesus loves people. Do you love people? Love puts others before me, but my nature tells me that I should put me before you. Our culture today tells me that I should put me before everyone else. But if I love Jesus, then Jesus tells me that I should put you before me. That doesn't come naturally. That's not normal. But that's when you get out of the old and get in to the new. If I love Jesus, then I will love what Jesus loves. The other thing is that if I love Jesus, I will hate what Jesus hates. What does Jesus hate? Jesus hates sin. And see, so this is when it gets real touchy. Because when I say the word sin, people get, uh oh, I'm not in one of those churches, am I? One of those hellfire and damnation, you turn or burn, boy, you sinner dog. I'm not in one of them churches that hates everything. No, no, I don't want to go to one of those finger-wagging churches. But listen, it doesn't, it doesn't say that Jesus hates people. It says that Jesus hates sin. We're called to love people and hate sin. Why does Jesus love people and hate sin? Because sin separates people from God. 
Sin separates us from God. Let me tell you something. People will tell you, well, I, you know, I've sinned, but I love God and I go to church. We all have sin. The Bible says that if I say I don't have sin, that I'm a liar and the truth of God's not in me. 1 John chapter 1. So we all have sin, right? We understand that. We all have that sin in us. But if someone habitually walks and practices sin, you can't walk closely with God in sin at the same time. So someone who's walking with God is not abiding and living constantly in sin. So Jesus understands that my sin is going to separate me from God and he loves me so much that he doesn't want that sin to separate me from God. Let me tell you a little trick about me. A little, 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 uh, give you a little hint here. If you mess with my kids, my, my daughter's sitting over there right now, Bailey. If you mess with either one of my children, in literally less than a second, I transform into Chuck Norris. I get boots with spurs. I mean, like, I get a cowboy hat. I just start doing 360 spin kicks. It's, it's incredible. I'm telling you. I just turn into Chuck Norris. Because you don't mess with my kids. Listen, what do you think God's like when sin is trying to mess with his kids? God hates sin not because he's mad at you. It's because he loves you and he wants to protect you. So the second reason why Jesus hates sin is because he understands and he sees how sin destroys us. It destroys everything it touches. I remember my uncle used to always tell me, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. I'm going to read that again. It says, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. That doesn't sound like a good thing to me. Sin is always trying to destroy us, and it's always trying to separate us from God. And listen, there's many people who will tell you that they're a Christian. They'll say, well, I, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But they've never had this experience with God. They've never been changed. Jesus has never really come to abide in their heart. And they'll tell you, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in the USA. I mean, if you're an American, I mean, you're basically a Christian, right? I mean, that's how it works. I was born in the USA. Or maybe they'll say, hey, I'm a Christian because I'm not a, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not, I'm not Hindu. I mean, I'm not these other religions. Listen, if I had to pick... A God. I'd probably pick Jesus. He'd probably be the one I would choose. So I'm a Christian. They think that's how it works. My favorite one is when people will tell you, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Listen, you can go home tonight and you can sleep all night in your garage. Tomorrow morning, you won't be a car. <laughs> it won't work. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. So it's not all those things. So what is the missing ingredient for someone who says or professes to be something that they're not? Or maybe some, uh, an ingredient that those of us who really have had an encounter with Jesus, but maybe we're not walking in the fullness of what he has for our life. What is the missing ingredient? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the missing ingredient through sharing a little bit of my personal testimony with you. Um, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in church. My mother always had me in church. Um, it, a lot of you might know my mother. She greets a lot here. 
74 years old. She just turned 74 this past uh, week and just celebrated with her. And my mom is the sweetest lady you'll ever meet. This is my mom angry. If my mom, the fullness, the fierceness of my mother's wrath is if you make her really mad, she'd say, I'm only baking you one apple pie this week. I mean, that's, that's like my mom mad, right? I mean, she just doesn't get angry. I mean, that, my mom is the sweetest lady in the world. But when I was a kid, she scared the living daylights out of me. Before church one Sunday, we're sitting in the car, and she tells me about hell. And she tells me, listen, son, hell is a lake of fire. And once you go in, you just burn forever. And you could get hit by a bus right after church today and go to hell if you don't have Jesus and... It's forever. And I'm sitting there in the car. I'm like nine or something. And I mean, I'm wetting my pants. I'm like, I don't want to go to hell, Mom. I don't want to go. And so we go into church. And before the pastor could even preach the message, I run up to the front. I'm like, sign me up. I don't know. Just what do I got to do? I'll join the church. I'll do whatever it is. I just uh, lead me in the prayer thing. I just want to do it. Because I wanted to get the fire insurance. I needed to check the box. I wanted to get the fire insurance so that I could go on living my life and not have to worry. And that's not how it works. And so I said the prayer, I did the thing, but nothing in me changed. I hadn't put my faith in Christ to change me, and I hadn't asked him to change me, and I wasn't sorry for my sin, to be quite honest. I was a spoiled little brat. And I liked it. I didn't view me as bad. I viewed me as good, and you're all here just to make me happy, right? I mean, that's how most of us are. We're honest. And so nothing in me had changed. And then I come back to church a couple years after that, and my pastor is singing this song, and for some strange reason, I actually listened to the words. And the song was called, Can He Still Feel the Nails? Can he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. When I heard those words for the first time in my life, it wasn't your sin that put him on that cross. It was my sin that put him on that cross. And I remember as a little boy, I ran out of the side of that church. I can remember there was this little white door right up in the auditorium on the side. And I remember it clearly because where all the deacons would go out to smoke. (laughs) True story. And I ran out that little white door and I ran up onto this hill and there was a little playground, a little swing set. And I sat in that swing and I just swung back and forth and I just bawled my eyes out. And I didn't know the words, I didn't know all the theology, but I just cried out to God, Oh, God, change me. God, I don't want to hurt you anymore. God, I don't want you to feel the nails every time I fail. I need you, God. And later on, the Lord revealed to me that was the moment. That was the moment that he came to live inside me. That was the moment that I was changed. And so what is the missing ingredient It's a thing called repentance. And you see, repentance today gets a dirty 
A dirt, it's like a dirty word. It gets a bad rap because when we hear the word repentance, we think of the street preacher with the sign and the megaphone. Turn or burn and just gritting his... I don't know why they're so angry. They're mad at somebody, but they're just so angry. And that's what we think of. We think of repentance as being sorry, of, of, of groveling on the ground. and just That's what we think of repentance. But true biblical repentance is essential to being a Christian. And I'm going to show you today, it's beautiful. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance is freedom. The gospel is good news. It's good news. And when we hear this good news that the sin that we've done, everything I've done in my life, and in spite of all of that, He came for me. He did that for me. When we hear that good news, repentance is our response to the news. Repentance is the heartfelt response that comes when by faith we receive what Jesus did for us. It's repentance. Acts chapter 2, and this is verse 36 through 38. And before I read this, I want to kind of explain. This is the first sermon ever preached after Jesus had died and risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. First sermon ever. And so Peter who's been a disciple of Jesus, one of the apostles. Peter is preaching in Jerusalem. And I'm not going to read you the whole story. We're just going to pick up at the end. But Peter is preaching, and this is what Peter says. Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we Do. And Peter replied, Don't worry about it. Just say a prayer and go on about your business. No big deal. Just repeat this after me and continue as normal. Is that what he says? No, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, they were torn in their heart. They weren't looking for just the fire insurance. The weight of their sin had hit them. The truth that they had just killed the Messiah, the King, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Hey, this guy who you just put on that cross rose from the dead. And what did they do? They said, my, I, I, they fell on the, What? Tell me what to do. They were torn at the heart, and Peter says, repent. Listen, faith and repentance go hand in hand. Whenever you believe truly, you will repent. You will desire to change. You will pursue change. You will open your heart to change. And over time, you will see change. There has never been a time when Jesus has come into the heart of a human being and not brought change. It's impossible to be in the presence of an almighty God and not change. There has to be change. And the Bible is crystal clear that people who have truly put their trust in Jesus, we've put our faith in Him. There, it is clear that there are signs, there is fruit that come when we do that. So I want to cover four of these real quick with you. 
These are fruit. These are signs that I've received Jesus truly into my heart. Number one, there will be spiritual fruit. Number one, there will always be spiritual fruit. Listen, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. When Jesus moves in and he lives inside of me, when I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit... What does that produce in my life? Well, automatically, when I have the Spirit of God in me, I start to produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness. Those things just begin to manifest out of me. Why? Because He's in there. He's inside of me. You pull water out of a well, what are you going to get? You're going to get what's in the well. You're going to get that water. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out? There's going to be fruit. There's going to be fruit in your life. And here's the cool thing. When there's fruit in your life, then there'll be fruit from your life. Because people will begin to see, man, that guy's different. I've known him for 10 years, and he used to not love like that. He used to not have peace like that. He used to not talk like that. There's something different. The fruit that comes in our life is going to produce fruit in others. And that's John 15, 8. He makes it clear, Jesus, that that fruit that comes from the fruit that's within glorifies our Father in heaven. God wants our lives to constantly, consistently bring glory to Him. How do we do that? Fruit. The, the second thing is there will be an elimination of the practice of sin. Now, this is where it gets, always gets touchy in church because people will say, well, wait a minute. Everybody sins. I mean, I sinned this week, so does that mean I'm not a Christian or can I not? How much sin can I sin? <laughs> well, I don't know. How much sin do you want to sin? <laughs> I mean, you can come in church office this week. We'll make a sin calendar. <laughs> so listen, on Thursdays you get two, but nothing big. Now, Fridays, you can have a bad one, but only before lunch. Right? Listen, if your heart wants to sin, you need to check your heart. The believer doesn't want to sin. We fall into sin. We have occasions of sin. But it's the elimination of the practice of sin. A Christian doesn't practice sin. Listen, I want to play the guitar but not that much because I don't practice. Like if I really wanted it, I'd practice. If you practice sin, you're pretty serious about it. If you have the practice of sin, we need to check our heart. Now, does that mean that if I sin today, I lose myself? No, because we're not saved by stopping our sin. We're not, it's not our righteousness and holiness that earns our salvation. I didn't get saved. Jesus didn't do something in me because I was holy and I quit sinning. So if you didn't get it by stopping your sin, committing a sin is not going to lose it. You believe your way in, right? So the sin is not going to get you out. But the practice of sin is an indicator light that I might need to check my heart. But if you're a believer and you're saying, man, I messed up again. Man, I don't. Listen, God, God says when we sin, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. God has forgiveness for you. 
So these things that I'm reading to you, they're not, listen, number one, they're not to beat yourself down. All 1 John is about the scripture there, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. The whole book of 1 John is this trying to assure you that you've got it. The whole book of 1 John, over and over again, he says, I'm writing to you so you can know. In the Son, there's life. If you have the Son, you got life. Man, isn't that great? When I see these fruit in my life, it just assures me even more. It builds up my faith to know, man, I've got it. And God's doing something great in me because I'm not who I used to be. I've changed and I'm changing and I see God doing stuff in me I could never do myself. And it's an assurance and a reassurance for our faith. The other thing is, these four things, they're never to be used to judge someone else. Listen, you're not the barometer of whether someone else is saved. You don't know their heart, neither do I, and we don't get to look at somebody and say, well, I don't think she's saved because she's not, she doesn't have enough fruit for me. Shut up. <laughs> Who made you the Holy Spirit? Like, you don't get to pick how much fruit. Listen, Jesus ain't working with all the same original materials here, right? Some of us came to him, we were a little bit more beat up and busted up than others. Me being chief among them. The apostle said, hey, Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief among all sinners, right? And so it's not to be used for that. Number three, there will be spiritual growth. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 tells us that we have to constantly put off the old and put on the new. It, here's the evidence that I'm a Christian. Every day, every month, every year, I look more and more like Jesus. I'm growing spiritually. I look more and more like Jesus. Number four, there will be obedience to Jesus' commandments. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus tells us, listen, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. But he doesn't say that obeying my commandments is love, right? He separates them out. Because sometimes people will get legalistic and they'll say, listen, if you really love God, you'll do all this stuff I think you should do. It's not about that. He says, if you love me, if you truly have heartfelt love for me, when you love Jesus, it produces obedience. You obey God because you love God. I was sharing last night when I preached on the way to church, I was just praying you know, over the message and just praying, kind of getting ready, just driving up the road here. And I just, I was just, I just like praying and I just started, I just love Jesus, man. I just love you, Jesus. I just love you. And immediately God just spoke to me and it was like, I love you more. And I was like, no, I love you more. And he's like, no, I love you more. I was like, no, I love you more. And it was just like this circle of love. Every time you go to God and just, I love you, he just loves you more. You can't outlove Jesus. Jesus loves you more. And when you live in that love, it will produce obedience. It's not a drudgery. It's not, well, I have to. I don't have to do anything. It's, it's, it's produced. Now, does this mean these four things? Does this mean that if I'm not perfect, then I'm not a true Christian? Christians are perfect, right? No. It doesn't mean that at all. You can't measure repentance on a scale. Repentance does not produce perfection. It produces freedom. Repentance produces freedom. So are you increasing in freedom? Listen, the gospel 
starts out by crushing me under the weight of my sin. Remember my story? The first part when you receive the gospel is God uses the law to show you how black, how dark, how heavy your sin really is. And you, for the first time in your life, like we all know we're not perfect, but like the gospel shows you the weight of your sin and you're crushed by it. It's like, my God, I've, I've, I've done all these things and it's like overwhelming the weight of your sin. And then it lifts it. It totally frees you. And it takes this crushing weight of all your sin and all the things you've done wrong and it just lifts it off. And in that moment, it's like, for the first time, I feel free. And I've never felt this freedom before. And when that weight is lifted, the first time you receive the gospel and you receive this gift, this freedom comes and you just want to fly. I mean, you feel like you can just float around, like you just want to dance. I mean, you're just like, you're so excited. And then this is what happens. All of a sudden, Satan comes in and he wants to put a little bit of that weight back on. And then you feel that weight begin to get on you. And this is where it goes sideways for us. If I want to continue to grow in Christ, if I've really had that experience, what I choose to do, because I'm living out of a heart of repentance, is as soon as I feel that weight come back, I go, no, 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 no. I don't want that back again. No, I live that life. I don't want that. Someone who's never felt the weight, they've never truly felt the weight of their sin, they've never truly had God set them free. When that weight comes back on, they, they come to church, they've done a little thing, and, and you know, they try to be a better person for a week, and then that old habit comes back. Eh, not that bad. I've lived like this for years. But to the believer, to the repentant of heart, Man, just a little bit of that weight. It's like, no, no, I don't want this again. And so what do we do? We run back to Jesus and we say, no, I, I felt the freedom and I feel something. It's little, it's small, but I don't want any of it. Take it away. I, I want to live in this freedom. I want to live from the gospel. See, the gospel's not some message we hear that Jesus died for me, we say a prayer, and then we're done. That's not, we live out of the gospel every day. I wake up every day and I have to receive God's mercy and God's grace. I live in the gospel every day. You have to apply the gospel every day. And let me tell you something. I'm somebody, I have studied the Bible my entire life. You'll never get to the end of it. It is so deep and so beautiful and so wide, so amazing, so incomprehensible. You'll never exhaust the glory of the gospel. It's amazing. So every day we have to apply the truth of God's word. We have to apply this gospel to our lives. I heard a story once of a preacher and a soap maker, and they're walking down the street. The preacher's trying to win the soap maker to, to Jesus because he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And they're walking down the street, and the soap maker, he points out some things. He says, see, Jesus isn't real. The gospel doesn't work. Look at all this sin. Look at that prostitute. Look at that drug dealer. Look at all this hatred in the world. Your gospel doesn't work. It's not real. The pastor pulls the soap maker aside and he says, 
Hey, look at that, that kid over there playing in that mud puddle. And the soap maker says, yeah, so what? He said, he's filthy. He said, yeah. He said, your soap doesn't work. And the soap maker says, well, my product has to be applied regularly to work. And the pastor says, so does mine. So does mine. You have to apply the gospel each and every day. Repentance means totally surrendering our will to God. The second thing this passage teaches us, and I'm going to end with this point, is that I must surrender my view of other people to God. I must surrender my view, my Olin's view of other people. I have to write that Dear John letter to my old self because I don't get to view you the same way anymore. That's the old way. I Now that I've received this gift of God by faith, now that I've repented, I've decided once and for all that I'm not going to look at you the way I used to look at you. Now I'm going to look at you the way God looks at you. And so I can't measure people in the natural human Way. I don't get to ask questions like, what's their race? What's their background? How much money do they have? How educated are they? How successful is he? How successful is she? I don't get to ask those questions anymore. I don't get to look at people the old way. I don't get to use others to serve myself. See, the old way, people are just a tool to bring me pleasure. That's the old way. But the new way... Is different. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, the new way is we become servants of others for Him. No longer do I look at you and in, in that same way, because now I have to see you through the eyes of Jesus. Where before I saw you as a tool to bring me pleasure, now I see you as a treasure that brings pleasure to Jesus. Imagine a world. Imagine a world with me for a minute. Imagine a world where millions of people have repented. Where inside they're not the same. Where they felt the weight of their sin and then it's been lifted. And they don't walk. They float. They dance. We're a church of people who walk out every day with a smile on our face because everything's perfect. No. Because he's so great. And I'm living from the victory he already purchased for me. And so I walk out of the door every day just walking around on this spiritual cloud of glory. Not that everything's great, but I'm great because me and him are great. And I've been changed. And because I've been changed, I'm full of love. I'm full of joy. I'm full of life. I'm full of peace. And because of all that, no longer do I look at you as a Republican or a Democrat, or white, or black, or a woman, or rich, or poor. I see you through the eyes of Jesus. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where that's the way we live. Imagine a world where that's the way we treat each other. It would be irresistible. People wouldn't be able to say no to Jesus. 
Because instead of being us, instead of lifting up our thing, we'd be lifting up him. And if we lift up Jesus, the Bible promises us, he will draw all men unto himself. We've been doing it wrong. We've got to repent. Verse 17, just to recap, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It's gone. I'm dead. A new life has begun. This verse is not just saying that when we come to Jesus, he makes us new. He does. Thank God he does. He makes us new. But it's telling us that I get to choose to walk in that new life every day. I've got to choose to let go of the old I'm letting go of the past. I'm letting go of the old. I'm letting go of the sin. I'm not in charge anymore. I'm writing that Dear John letter to me because I'm going to start living for him. Would you stand on your feet with me this morning? I want to give you an opportunity today to repent. And that, that doesn't mean that you're receiving Jesus for the first time. Many of you maybe love God and you're following after God, but maybe... Maybe he's, he's been Savior, but lately, maybe he hasn't been Lord. And you can choose today to repent. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never experienced what I'm talking about. You've never really felt the weight, and you've certainly never felt it lift. And you say, man, I'd love some freedom in my life. He's the only one that can give it. One of the members of our teaching team this week said this. I thought it was powerful. He said, if you think about writing a Dear John letter, what are you really doing? You're writing a letter to someone you loved because you've fallen more in love with someone new. And when he said that, I thought, my God, that's repentance. Repentance is I'm writing that letter to the old me because I love him more. That's repentance. It's not all this stuff we've been told. Repentance is letting go because, man, I love him so much more. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Close your eyes. There's nothing sacred about that. It just helps you to Kind of block out the distractions. Don't worry about the people around you. What, what's going on today? Focus for just a moment on God. He gave everything for you. Everything. And I'm here to tell you today, He loves you. There's only one question, really. Once you've heard this, once you've heard the gospel, that Jesus loves me that much, there's only one thing. What do I do? Will you respond to it? Will you Repent. Will you turn to Him? If that's you today and you say yes, I'm going to ask you right now to do something bold and just raise your hand up right now. If that's you and you say, man, I want to say yes, just raise your hand up. We're going to say a prayer. We're going to say it together. Amen. Hands up all over the room. We're going to say this together. And even those of you who have been following Jesus, but maybe He's been a little more Savior, a little less Lord, you can pray this prayer too and mean it in your heart. And I believe God's going to do something today. When we repent, remember the promise. He will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit.
He will. He will come and live inside you. It's amazing. So let's pray this together. Just repeat these words after me and believe them in your heart. Say, Lord God, I repent. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. I see it. I see how amazing it is. I feel the weight of my sin. And I receive your gift of freedom, of forgiveness. Make me new. I receive that right now. And I want to change. I want to live for you every day. I make you my Lord. Not just my Savior. Jesus, you are Lord. I give you my heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen.